Mom died several years ago. One of the oddest things I remember is everyone saying, your mom passed, in lieu of saying, your mom died. As if somehow using the euphemism passed could take the sting out of the ugly truth I was experiencing. My mom didn't just pass. She was dead. Still as stone and cold to the touch, her unexpected death rocked my world. Her lifeless physical body wasn't the most jarring reality. The loss came in gut-wrenching waves of daily grief. A beautiful friendship severed by death. My prayer sister, gone. My support system, lifeless. My phone texting encourager, disconnected with no forwarding number. Motherless, lost, devastated, lonely. My existence, forever altered. I've experienced loss of family before, yet this was different, significant, unexpected. I wonder, what are your kids experiencing post-divorce? Are they lost? Devastated? Lonely? Would they say to you that their existence is forever altered? My mom had been dying right in front of me for a couple of months. At the time, I just didn't even recognize the signs. To be honest, I don't think she knew either. It started when she had an outpatient procedure that weakened her immune system, creating stress on her entire body. Ravaged internally with an unknown infection and soon-to-be-discovered, failing heart, she fought to stay strong. Externally, her body revealed a diminished physical capability. My fix-it recovering control freak self demanded she go to the doctor. Begrudgingly, with my unveiled threat of escorting her to the ER, she submitted to my directive. In what fast became a role reversal, I began to take care of my mother. From doctor visits, to hospital admittance, to a litany of tests, to nursing care, to funeral preparations, I ministered to my beautiful mom. Funny, though, I wouldn't have described it then as ministering. Yet I distinctly remember my mother applying that term. With tears in her eyes, her body racked with pain as she lay in that sterile hospital bed. She simultaneously admonished and thanked me for spending time ministering to her. I didn't understand the term and attempted to brush it off. Oh, I knew the Webster definition. What really escaped me at that time was the heart definition. Perhaps that's where you are now. You know the Webster definition of ministry, of parenting, of step-parenting. Yet, your heart isn't fully aligned with the stewardship role of ministering to your stepkids. I invite you to dream with me then. Imagine, if you will, how your ministry of stewardship will positively impact your stepkids as you build your legacy moment by moment. God has entrusted you with this role. Now let's get to it together. Hey there, you're listening to Step Family Mission Possible, the podcast for step families with a focus on step family couples building their legacy together. We know that blending families is hard, and your hosts, me, Jen Rogers, along with my husband, Bill, are determined to make it easier. It's time to turn step family chaos into step family mission possible together. Hey, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to learn how to overcome these step-family roadblocks and setbacks together. Bill and I will show you how to communicate effectively, create value-based boundaries, 
so you can be on your way to building and living and enjoying your step family legacy without all the stress and chaos. Blending is hard. Let's make it easier. What does building a legacy mean to you? If you're struggling with what that might look like in your blend, don't miss today's episode with Joel Setacase. Joel helps Christian men who are not pastors but desire to follow God's teachings in their families to build a legacy so that they, their wives, and their kiddos will be able to confidently articulate the questions the world is asking. Joel has an MA in philosophy of religion. He's a licensed missionary on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ. He's an expert in apologetics, and Joel is passionate about sharing the Christian worldview, about evangelism, and pastoral ministry. You can find out more about Joel, his family, and his mission at thethink.institute. Jen and I are pleased to welcome Joel Setticase to Step Family Mission Possible. It is such an honor to hear from men who are passionate about God and passionate about leading other men to understand the importance of their role in their families. And hey, ladies, this episode is for you too. Because as the helpmate, as God's designated helpmate to your man, the two of you are on a mission. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to embrace the stewardship responsibility that God has given you to leave a legacy in your blended family. That means preventing redivorce, modeling an amazing love affair in your marriage, and developing a catechesis for your children, fighting against the 24-7 messages that come to us from the world. All right, let's go ahead and get started. Welcome, Joel. Thanks, guys. So glad to be here. Hey, we're really glad to have you. Thanks so much for joining us today. We love having legacy thinkers on the podcast because we are committed to legacy. What is it about legacy that's so important to you? The idea of a legacy is something something that really speaks to the heart of men. In my own story, I started the Think Institute in 2019. And originally, we talked about all kinds of different questions, anything related to worldview, evangelism, and apologetics. Recently, I started this process of uh, honing the focus of my show. And really, the goal was to serve my audience better. I know you guys are familiar with this process, but I, I interviewed a bunch of our listeners and people that I had identified as potential listeners. And I'll tell you, one thing that really kept on coming up with these guys is the desire to leave a legacy with their family, to build a legacy where their family is growing up in an environment that is shaped by God's word, that is on mission for God, that is actually seeing fruit where people are coming to Christ, Jesus is transforming lives. The idea is this would be something that would continue on after these fathers are gone, decades and, and generations later. As I'm having these conversations with these guys, it's striking this chord with me. It wasn't so much a, it wasn't so much this thing where I realized, like where I decided this is what my podcast is going to be about. It was like, I realized this already is what I'm about. I just didn't have the language for it. And so I got that from my listeners, but it's a biblical idea. You think back to the arch father in scripture, the, the patriarch Abraham, 
And God called this man out of this very chaotic, we could even say pagan environment. And he called, he, he brought him on this quest and showed him this land and this territory and said, I'm going to give this to you, but you're not going to inherit it. It's going to be your children and your children's children. And there's going to be these blessings that are going to come. Your job right now is to begin to lay those seeds and to raise your children to know me. And then I'm going to bless your children's children through the seeds that you're laying down now. I'm actually reading through Genesis and you see how Abraham, he put those seeds, he planted those seeds and put those things in place, laid down those roots. And God did bless him. God did give him a legacy. Even though he didn't see it come to fruition, he looked forward to it. I think that's where a lot of men are today is you might, they might be first generation Christians where they came to, to Christ. They weren't raised in a, a Christian home necessarily, or they might be second and third generation Christians, but they're trying to either build on their parents' legacy or in many ways relaunch, trying to do those things, trying to um, not fall into the same pitfalls they saw their own dads fall into. And those are the guys I'm reaching. Those are the guys I'm speaking to. And from what I've listened to of, of you guys and your show, that word relaunch, I don't think that you use that word, but it, it really, I think it speaks somewhat to your story as well. I'm very inspired by the legacy that you guys are building as well in your family and through your show. That's really cool. Thank you for that. Yeah. Thank you. Joel, I, I hear what you're saying regarding Abraham and what he passed on to his family. Do you think that most Christian men understand that they are leaving a legacy, no matter what it is? That's a good question. I'm glad you asked that because I think that you, <laughs> the way I think of it, you've got two different kinds of Christian men with regard to leaving a legacy. You've got the guys who are actively pursuing it. That does tend to be more my audience, the guys that I'm working with, the guys who already want to obey God's teachings in their lives and their families. They want to lead in church, but maybe they haven't found that perfect position yet. They they sort of know what their giftings are, but they haven't really settled into their role yet that they think that God has built them for. That's the one kind. The other kind is guys who aren't, but need, but a need to be awakened to that. And again, I don't think this is something, this isn't like an artificial construct where it's like, hey, let's all decide to pursue building a legacy. I think that this is something that is deep in the heart of every man. And if they haven't been awakened to it yet, there's going to, there either will be something that'll awaken it, or there's, to me, it's a tragedy if that never gets awakened, because I do think that lies in the heart of men, that this is something that we're built for. So no, I don't think that every guy is awakened to this yet, but it's there. And the thing is, if they're not actively pursuing it, they're pursuing something. They're pursuing something. They're building something. We can't not build. Maybe maybe they're playing video games. So maybe they're working on building, advancing in, in that world. Or maybe it's at work and they're seeking promotion. Or maybe it's in the realm of just personal pleasure. But they're building something. We're always going to be actively pursuing and, and building something. The question is that, is it going to be something that will last? Something that will last actually not just, not even just on earth through our kids, but will it be something that'll last into, as a Christian, I believe that what we're doing now is going to actually last into eternity. When you were talking about studying in Genesis, I was thinking about Sarai and I would have said to my husband, you're nuts. 
So you want to leave this place where our friends are, where our home is. I, I just got the home exactly how I want it to be decorated. It's perfect right now. And you want to pick up and go somewhere. You actually can't even tell me where. I mean, what kind, what kind of gig is this? Who is this guy, this God guy? Why would we even do that? And then when we get wherever we're going, which you don't know where we're going, you don't know where we're going to live and we don't know what we're going to do. I'm not so sure that I would have been a very strong helpmate at that time. And the reason that I mentioned that is because even though we're talking about the role of men in step families, it's important that women understand that they have a role too. Being a helpmate is as critical as the man leading the family. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. When God created the first man, what he said, it is not good for the man to be alone. And there's, that speaks to humanity's need for companionship and community for sure. Because at that point, there was no male and female. Adam was a man, but he was all of humanity. So when God says it's not good for the man to be alone, yes, he's talking about males, but he's, I think he's talking there about humanity in general. We need companionship. But, there's, but then when God differentiates and God creates the woman out of the side of the man, there's a lot of significance there as well. Because God gives the man a mission, have dominion in the world, steward it, care for it, expand my kingdom. And by the way, you're going to need help. You're going to need, you, this is not something that you're going to be able to do yourself. In order to have dominion over the world, you have to fill the world. Adam, you don't reproduce um, There's asexually. You're not going to be like a worm and split in half. You need another human being here to to create new people, to procreate, and then to raise those people to obey me as well. And you need a partner in this. The partner's not going to come from your head so that she'll be above you. She's not going to come from your foot so that you can trample on her. She's going to come from your side and even under your arm. So she's equal to you. She comes out of your side, but you're also going to protect her. You're going to put your arm around her and walk with her. And uh, you're going to protect her from what is going to become a cold and uh, brutal world in the future, even though it wasn't when God originally created them, sin was going to enter into the world soon. And yeah, there's the call to the man is, it really is a call to husband and wife as husband and wife. Joel, men in our society like Jason Whitlock and Tony Evans have pointed out that the absence of fathers in our homes has created one of the greatest social problems that we have. Certainly we speak to that in the step family sense because we believe and we always say God calls a family to be a family. He doesn't care if it's step. He calls us to leave that legacy. A lot of fathers feel like they can't have impact because their kids won't listen to them. Talk to the stepdad who has a stepdaughter, stepson about the impact they can have. Yeah. I'm glad you asked that because I know that this is your audience and one of the most important and profound and touching truths of scripture is the doctrine of adoption. And there's, Jesus is called the son of God and rightly so he's God, the son, but the way that God speaks about us as his children, he uses the metaphor of adoption. He says uh, in scripture, it says we've been given the spirit of adoption as sons and could have set things up differently. I'm sure. But the very fact that God is our, our father by way of adoption, is so profound for any father. And that has to speak to stepfathers because here you've got, here you've got the Lord, God, the father using a a metaphor of, of being our father, but we're not, but the, the very metaphor is he took us from, 
I hope I don't stretch this metaphor too far here, but I, I think that this works. He took us from a family that we, he took us from another family, another kingdom even, and he brought us to be with him and to dwell in his household. And he adopted us as his children and he cares for us as his children and he loves us and he provides for us as his children. He gives us our daily bread as children. There's no privilege, there's no right there's no blessing, benefit, or treasure that God withholds from us. In fact, if you read Ephesians chapter 1 and you read the blessings and the benefits that God gives to us in Christ, that there is no distinction between God's love for us and his love for his one-of-a-kind son, his only begotten son, Jesus. That is just the most incredible, profound, deep truth. Any stepdad can read Ephesians 1, can read these passages about the fatherhood of God, and can see themselves and their role as stepfather reflected in that. Not because we're going to do it perfectly, not because we're going to do it even close to perfectly, but because God has adopted us into his family, we have a paradigm and a pattern to follow, a standard to follow. We can be like God the Father in the power of the Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of God. Not only that, but because it was Jesus who brings us in to God's family. We also have someone who makes up for our shortcomings and forgives us for our sins and our mistakes because Navigating a blended family is very challenging. There's, it's hot and cold water mixing. It's hot and cold air mixing. And we know what happens when hot and cold weather, oftentimes you get a storm or a tornado. But we have a God, we have a Savior, Jesus, who actually calms the storm. He's given us all the resources we need. Second Peter 1.3 says, God has, has given us all things pertaining to life and godliness. And if you are a, a stepfather, you have understand that adoption and that, that whole pattern is a metaphor God uses for himself. God wants you to be in that role. God has equipped you to be in that role. That It's a gift. It's actually a gift from God. It's a blessed thing. It's a happy thing to be a stepfather. That's not, this isn't, it's not some second rate thing or some, you know, uh, you're not getting the scraps from God's table. It's a blessing. And the opportunity that you have to be in that role is, is something that God wants for your life. If God has given it to you, you can trust him to provide. Now you're going to have to rely on him. Of course, this isn't just, this isn't the message of you're good enough in yourself. You are all that you need. No, that's no one. God doesn't say that to anyone. Stepfather, stepmother, biological father, mother, or, or anyone else. You're not good enough. That's the point. That's why we needed a savior. That's why we needed to be adopted by God. But he has done that if you have faith in his son, Jesus. And so he will equip you for that. Mm-hmm. That's so good. In fact, as you said, he has already equipped us. The thing is when we're wearing the tool belt, we don't actually know how to use the tools. <laughs> we get a little confused. <laughs> we don't have confidence in what we're doing. And we have a lot of role confusion. And I know that in society today, we have these societal messages that constantly come at us. These are those flaming arrows every single day. And often when I work with women, I ask them the question, how often are you in the world? They look at me kind of funny all the time. Yep all the time. And so if you're bombarded 24-7 with messages from your enemy, you're going to have to do something different. You're going to have to carve out some time where you are actually in God's word on your own and with your partner so that the two of you can really deal with understanding what this equipping really looks like. I love what you said. I haven't heard that a metaphor like that put so beautifully. We say it a lot shorter. We say God's blessings for your marriage are the same for any marriage. That was really beautiful. Thank you. For I just use a lot more words to say the same thing you guys are saying. That's, I'm just long-winded. That's all. <laughs> like preacher, huh? <laughs> that's right. Exactly. The former pastor is coming out. Mm. 
it's pretty dangerous. You got a current pastor and a former pastor together. That, <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> I'm not hogtied here. They're actually going to let me say a few things. I'm interested because when you talk about adoption, it's a powerful story and powerful message, uh, especially that God gives us. Now, where the metaphor can break down in the step home just a little bit is that a step kid might be leaving one home, going to another, and then coming back from that home and, and they feel torn between the two homes. How can the adoption or, or even the sense that the kid has that they're adopted in Jesus Christ help that situation when they're maybe in a home part-time that isn't teaching those things? Yeah, that is the reality oftentimes. Everyone's situation is going to be different there. But I like what you guys said about the blessings that God has for your marriage are the same as for any marriage. So think about the ideal. What What's the ideal situation? The ideal situation is that you're training up your children in the Lord. You're teaching and encouraging them in the discipleship of God, in the paideia of God, as Paul says, the, the body of teaching that God wants his children to have. Okay. So ideally we're doing these things as it says, is it numbers or Deuteronomy? We're teaching these things when you get up, when you lay down, when you go out, when you come back in. You can still do that. It's it's just you're doing it part time. You're doing it on the weekends. You're doing it during the weekdays, but you're still doing that. Do it when you can with what you have. I think about this a lot. You mentioned earlier, Bill. You talked about how you know Jason Whitlock talks about the fatherlessness in society and how that's one of the biggest problems that we have. That is hitting on something so true. Culture is downstream from worship or cultus and worship is downstream from the family. The statistics bear this out. Quick aside here, if a father goes to church, his children are between 66 and 75% likely to become churchgoers when they grow up. If the father does not go to church, that number drops to 25 to 33% of the kids going to church when they grow up. If you want churches to be filled, then there needs to be a, a godly culture in the home. And if we want culture to become more godly, we need to fill the churches with Bible-believing, Jesus-following people. So it all stems from what fathers do in the home to create that culture. Some things that you can do with the time that you have would be catechizing your children, your young children especially. Catechism, when I was growing up, I always thought that was a Catholic thing. I knew I wasn't Catholic, so I guess I don't do catechism. But a catechism is simply a book that has questions and answers to teach the basics of the Christian faith. So I've actually written a catechism for my own kids, started doing that when they're three years old, they start getting catechized. And uh, my older kids have gone through it three times. My, our baby is going through it her first time. And why do we do it? Because we want to take the time that we have to in, uh, inculcate the Christian worldview in our kids. Other things that, that you can do, have a regular time of family worship. Now, again, maybe this means you only do it on Saturdays. If that's the only time that you have with your kids, then, then use that time. And it's going to mean, like for anyone, it's going to mean choosing not to do something else. So maybe, maybe the only time, if you've got the choice between doing family worship or bringing your kids to baseball, you're going to have to decide which one's more important. Or maybe you do family worship in the car on the way to baseball. There's things that we can do. But for family worship, it does not need to be overcomplicated. It can be very simple. Three steps. Read the Bible. You pray and sing a song. And one of the, the real blessings in our home as we've been doing family worship is we'll sing these older songs, you know, how great you are, uh, holy, 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 that kind of stuff. And 
those aren't songs that we really sing in church as much anymore. But it's been a way for Alisa, my wife and I, to tap into some of those older songs and to, to pass those on to the next generation. We read the Bible, we pray. It, it gives our kids a chance to digest what they're reading in scripture and then to share prayer requests. It doesn't have to take long. You can do it in 10 minutes. You can read, the, you can read a short passage, you can uh, pray, and you can sing a song in 10 minutes. You can do longer too. You can take an hour if that's how long you want to take. But what this does is over time, the more you do this, it creates a culture and it, it actually transforms lives. It transforms the, the lives of your children. One more thing you can do, this is a practical thing, and it has to do with the media that your kids are consuming. Because you might not have control over what your kids are watching, listening to, what apps they're using at the other parents' home. You might not be able to control that. Maybe you can. Maybe you have some input there. But one of the, but what you can do is you can control what they consume and how they consume it and how they're processing it. So I will do something in my home that is that aggravates my kids to no end, but I know deep down they love it and I know they're going to appreciate it when they're older. And that is I stop the movie. So if we're watching a Disney movie or one of these kids' superhero movies and they say something, the real strength comes from within. The answer was within you all, all along. You just had to follow your heart, princess. I will stop the movie and I'll go, kids, where, kids, where does our strength come from? They'll go, from God. That's right. Father, Son, or Holy Spirit? From the Holy Spirit. All right, that's good. And we'll, I'll press play, you know, or they'll say, the movie will say something like, you, you were good enough all along. Pause. Kids, are we good enough? No. Can anyone be good enough for God? No. Who makes us good enough? Jesus. How did he do it? Died on the cross. And I'm and, not sure I want to watch a movie with you, Joel. You don't. You don't. Trust me. You don't. And I and the, the thing is, I do this with my wife too, and we're watching movies. I'm not catechizing her, obviously, but I'll pause and I'll go, Can you believe they just said that? But but and sometimes she goes, Joel, can we just watch the movie? Yes. Because when you, when it's husband and wife, you can just do that. And, and telepathically, you know what right. you think, what the other person is thinking. But <laughs> but the reason why we do that is because I want them to see how what they're learning via the catechism, via family worship, through God's word, how does that interact with what they're, what the world, the messages that the world, because the world is trying to catechize them. Everyone is trying to catechize your kids. This is, um, you know, public schools, media, to the extent that there are messages out there that are not rooted in God's word, based upon God's word, then they're going to be catechizing your children in something that is not true. Anything that disagrees with God's word is not true. This is God's world. And so if we try to come up with messages that differ from what God has said and is saying in the Bible, those are going to be false messages. Of course, that doesn't mean that all truth in the world is found in the Bible. There are things that we can learn through scientific inquiry, through philosophy, through just interactions with people. I know things... Uh, relationships. I know things about my wife that are not in the Bible. However, it's God's word that gives us a lens by which we see the world. Yeah, my wife is going to tell me things that are true about her. Those aren't specifically written in the Bible. But the way that I view my wife and our marriage needs to be based in the Bible, right? The way that we view science, the way that we view philosophy, the way that we view our children and how we raise them is true to the extent that it agrees with what, what God has said in the world. Okay, now, why do I bring all that around? Why do I say all that? Part of it, again, is being the long-winded preacher, but part of it is because we have to be aware as parents that the world is trying to catechize our children. Sometimes this is more overt than others. A couple of nights ago, my wife was out of town. She went on a much-needed vacation, and I was home with the kids. And when dad's home with the kids, 
That, that's movie night time. We watched the movie Clifford, which my kids, my oldest is 10, my youngest is four. And so they're right in that demographic for Clifford the Big Red Dog. And the movie starts with this beautiful panoramic shot of New York City taken from either on top of one of their tallest buildings or maybe from a drone or a helicopter. But you see this beautiful shot and you're looking down on the world of New York City and you hear this voice, this old aged voice. It's the voice of John Cleese, who's a really funny guy. He, he did Monty Python in the 70s. But now, of course, he's old and he sounds wise. And even in the movie, he plays this wizened, old, mysterious man, this character. And he begins by, it's not just a narrator setting the scene. It's this wizened voice from on high, this godlike voice telling you the lens through which you are to view the events you're about to watch. And it's just like, this is Moses on high on Mount Sinai telling you, here's how to, to view the world. And I don't know how many people watched that and thought what we're about to see is catechesis. What we're about to see is a, a worldview being taught. I did because that's how I view everything, but it's, that's, in, that's for me, that's an overt example, but there are all kinds of subversive examples of media trying to get their worldview across as parents, biological parents, step parents, we need to be aware of that. And man, we need to be willing to pause the movie, to pause the song, to change the channel, to turn the volume down, to mute it and to say, okay, kids, what did you just hear? What are they saying? Is this true or not? And don't just give them the pat answers. Don't just be, don't just accept the pat answers, but they should, even if sometimes the answer is just one of these basic answers, Jesus, God, the Bible, that's okay too. Because if nothing else, what you're doing is you're getting your kids to, to view, to think about what they're watching. And to actually think about themselves as they watch and to think about the relationship between the real world, the, the thing that they're watching and themselves, rather than just be consumed by the media that they're consuming and to just consume it mindlessly and to be immersed by it, to be baptized into it, you're encouraging them to stand on a solid rock above it and to analyze and to think critically about what they're watching. And that's a very different experience. And sometimes that does mean, Jen, I hear you say, oh, that's no fun to watch movies that way. It's not, it's, that's the, that's part of the problem. It's less fun. It's less fun. But our job as parents, as you guys know, is not just to allow our children to have mindless. It's to train up a child in the way he should go so that when he is older, he will not stray from it. And that might be less fun now, but it's going to, save them a host of problems later. And I'll give you just one more example. And I know I'm going on a rant here. One of the things, one of the major problems that I think that we've seen emerge over the last two years is we have seen how some people will blindly follow what they are told by someone who has the right credentials. And they will buy into a narrative that if they paused for one second, to critically analyze it. They, it would, the whole thing would fall apart like a house of cards. Mm -hmm. But instead, we have been trained as a society to blindly follow the narrative that we've been taught is true, whether or not it's actually true, whether or not it accords with reality. As Christian parents, that can't be good enough for us. We have to be those weirdos, those awkward people who teach our kids, hey, stop, think, 
Compare this with God's word. Is this true? Is this real? And a popular name for this is apologetics. You can call this apologetics. I call it apologetics, but it's really just taking every thought captive to obey Christ, which is what the Bible says we should be doing. It's always being ready to give an answer to anyone who asks us for the hope that is within us, as Peter says in 1 Peter. It's just having the mind of Christ. It's just do not be not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our minds. As you guys know, these aren't ideas that I'm just coming up with right now, right? I'm not that smart. These are coming from Scripture. These are coming from God's Word. And the, the way that really speaks to me, one of the frustrations as a pastor, Joel, is that it seems like we in the church have lost a whole generation because our generation told our kids, make up your own mind. You, you do your own thing and you can decide whether or not you want to go to church, whether or not you want to go to Sunday school, whether or not you want to read the Bible. What has it led to? And that's why when you say these things, I so agree. It doesn't matter whether you're a step family, natural family, or just a friend down the street. These are things that must be taught. That's a great point. I'm really glad that you mentioned the friend down the street, Bill, because one of the ways that we build a legacy is by building it in our local area as well. And Jesus said that no one lights a candle. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a, a bushel. That's silly. Jesus described this as a city on a hill. God doesn't intend for us as Christian families to just be this tiny little inwardly focused enclave that, yeah, we raise our Christian kids and that's pretty much the extent of it. Then they raise their Christian kids. And now that's a good thing. Don't get me wrong, but we are intended by God, I believe, to have an impact in our local area. And that's going to mean being that friend down the street who who's teaching the neighbor kid i'm trying to think about scenarios where this might where this might factor in the kid falls off his bike and you go and you minister to him hey you okay let me see your knee you're all right brush it off let's bring you home to mom let's talk i'm establishing a relationship with this family i care about you and i'm here for you when things are are down when the chips are down here's a um i heard times were tough but you lost your job here's a ham for christmas it's something small here's some cookies why do we do that we want to be kind we want to be caring, but we also want to be that friend down the street, Bill, as you said, who is known as someone who cares and who is open about talking about the, the deeper things of life, the more important things of life. And when the chips are down, hey, can I, listen, can I pray with you? I, I happen to be a Christian. Can I, would you, would it be all right if I prayed with you? No, not comfortable. That's fine. I'm going to pray for you though. I'm going to pray for you. And by the way, hey, here's something that I learned in church on Sunday that speaks directly to your situation. Or, hey, and I still do this, I'm old school. Hey, here's a gospel tract. Have you ever heard of, does the word gospel mean anything to you? Yeah, it's a genre of music. It's an old-fashioned word. Can I just, can I share this with you? Would you read this? Maybe we talk about it sometime. I'd love to talk with you about it. Where that friend down the street, where that, that, that person in the local area who is known as being uh, religious, if you will, spiritual, if you will, a Christian, someone who you can turn to, and, and there are other ways that we can do that in our local area as well. But man, I just think that is so important. And it is an avenue that we just really don't think about enough is how am I having an impact, not only in my home, but in my community, my neighborhood as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of the importance of having dominion in your own home. And what that means to me in the context of what you're saying is 
perhaps say no to the baseball team so you can come together and build into your family because that's really the strength is not going to come from the baseball team. That's a one shot wonder, but the strength is going to come from your family. And I know that when we had gotten together previously and we're having a conversation, your kids are evangelistic in nature as well to your neighbors by going over and sharing some of the things that they've learned. It speaks to kids do pick up what they witness happening in their home, doing the action instead of telling them what to do. I actually love that you do stop the movie. I'll poke fun at you at it for a while, but uh, I think <laughs> it's sure. fantastic. We don't even turn the movie on. Okay. So we are so anti. Yeah, that's good. So much trash that we just don't even do that. But I think what's really important is that critical thinking. Each year, Bill and I, we have a theme for our family. And as we pick that theme this year were the mustard seed of faith. That's our theme for this year. And what is God going to do with our mustard seed of faith? And I, I got to tell you that there are days that my faith is smaller than a mustard seed because I'm like, God, please don't make me do that. <laughs> this is really uncomfortable. You and Moses. Yeah, me and Moses. <laughs> yeah. That's me at stut stuttering lips right now. I don't uh -huh. stutter. This is why I do a podcast. I don't stutter. <laughs> But there are lots of other things that I get hung up on. And I think it's just having confidence that God created you to share the good news. And why wouldn't you share the good news? And that's where going back to the societal impact that the whole goal is to keep you quiet. The whole goal is to create distinct groups of people so that they're afraid to share information. Christians are fearful of sharing their faith. It's really important that we just build each other up. That's why it's important that we come to church, not Zoom, but that we come to church so that we can build each other physically and spiritually and emotionally there so we can actually see that somebody's struggling because sometimes it takes a little bit of time for us to acknowledge that we need help. And once we acknowledge that, we may still have a little trouble getting out, hey, can you help me? But if you physically show up, other people can recognize that you're in need and minister to you. And really family, that's, this is, I call it your laboratory for learning. This is where you learn what's going on. So you've got lots of chemicals and things blow up often and it's okay. The beakers break, all those kind of things, but it's so important to know that the lab is a safe place to be. And for blended families, it doesn't feel safe for a long time because you don't know what the new norms are. And what is that book that we're reading? Oh, Canoeing the Mountains. And in that book, it talks about the challenge is not the change as much as it is what you've lost. That if you accept the change, then you acknowledge that you've lost something. In blended families, if they accept the new step-parent or the new norm, then that means their parents are never getting back together again. That means Things aren't going to be the way that they used to be. And even though they may know that intellectually, deep down in their core, it takes a little bit more time to get there. And I say all of those things because I think that it's important that we understand it's the same with growing in our faith. It takes a while to get it deep down in our core. And that's why we need to keep coming together and reminding ourselves of these truths of who Jesus is. Uh, you often say when you're, well, I was going to say preaching from the pulpit, but oftentimes you don't need a pulpit to preach. <laughs> you often talk about Jesus was not, he didn't come to bring everybody all together. Mm -hmm. So go ahead. I tell people that we live in this culture that often says everybody has to agree. Everybody has to be tolerant of one another. 
And I tell them Jesus was the most intolerant person that ever lived. So I guess you're going to have to cancel him too. Well, you already have, but, <laughs> but, but that's the truth. Jesus was not tolerant and is not tolerant. That's right. Truth is intolerant. Right. This is why in Matthew 28, when Jesus gives the church the Great Commission, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't leave it there. Mm -hmm. He doesn't say, once they're in, the, that's it. all good. Let them go. And just as long as everybody gets along, it's all good. He says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That is a powerful statement. That's teaching them. So they're going to be disciples and you have to teach them to obey me. That is very intolerant, and yet it's also the most incredibly liberating thing in the world because that takes you, it takes you out of a disorienting situation and, put, and gives you a clear destination, a clear goal to head towards. The goal is Christ. He's, he's the path. He's the way. He even described himself as the way. And my kids and I are reading through the Fellowship of the Ring right now, the, the Tolkien book, and it's so inspiring because all the adventures that they have these little side trips and they stop here and they stop there and they get stuck under this mountain and this happens. It's all oriented towards the same goal. They've got to go get rid of the ring and following Jesus and teaching, teaching disciples to observe him is, is similar to that in a way, because it orients all the different side trips, whether it's baseball, whether it's family worship, whether it's what movies you watch or don't watch or what have you, going to church and, and these different things. It's all oriented towards obeying Christ. There is only one way. It's very intolerant, but it gives meaning to everything else. Who wants to read a story about this group of people who just randomly go here and then they randomly go there and there's no thread connecting to the different elements of the story. That's not a story. That's a meaningless collection of things that happen. That's not, no one wants to read that because there's no, there's no animating purpose to it. But when, when you say my life is going to be about Jesus, that's incredibly intolerant to every other orienting story, every other narrative, but it's incredibly liberating because it gives meaning to everything else. And that meaning, by the way, happens to be true. Because when Jesus says, I am the way, he also says, I am the truth. And so it's not, it's intolerant. Truth is intolerant, but it's intolerant to falsehood and to lies. And those are things that we want to be intolerant towards. And if that means cutting some things out of your life, I'm not, we're not going to watch movies. We're not going to go to that practice. Oh, but we're being deprived. No, not when you view things in light of, what we're supposed to be aiming towards. Yeah. Okay. You're deprived. You're deprived of something that's not as good. Sorry. You know, like I'm not, that's, that's okay. <laughs> it ties right back into the things that we were talking about as far as leaving a legacy. Oftentimes families don't really think about that. They don't get together. The husband and wife don't get together and say, Hey, this is the direction that we want to take our family. And yet businesses do it all the time. And for businesses to succeed, they have to have a point of direction, knowing this is where we want to go. This is who we want to become. If you could share just a, a few more thoughts of, of encouragement for dads to encourage them in their role as stepdad 
I think that would be very helpful before we bring this to a close. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 3.15 says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Now, in English, that statement doesn't make a ton of sense. Because in what sense is family derived from father? Family, father, that it's not the same word. Those aren't cognates of each other. But Paul is not writing in English. He's writing in Greek. And in Greek, the word for family is patria, where we get our word patriot, patriotism. And the word for father is pater. So every patria is named after the pater. Why is that important? Why do I bring that up? Because we have this sense, we have this idea in our society today that God is a projection of what we wish a father would be like. He's an idealized father. And so we think, what's the perfect dad? That must be what God is like. That idea does not come from the Bible. That comes from Freud. That does not come from Scripture. According to the Bible and according to the truth, it's exactly flipped. God is the ultimate father. Fatherhood is defined by God. And the way that God treats us, that is what a family is supposed to be like. And every patria on earth, every family takes its name. And in the Bible, the word name has to do with authority and nature. The authority and nature of a family and of a father's role in the family comes directly from God. We don't have to make it up. We don't have to come up with our own paradigm. We don't have to invent it out of whole cloth. We're not floating in the middle of the ocean on a raft and someone just says, hey, there's a shore in any direction. Head any way you want to go. That's disorienting and quite honestly terrifying. Instead, God has set us on the path and said, here's where you need to go, and I'm going to walk with you every step of the way. We have a father in heaven who is a good father. He is a righteous father. He's a holy father. And he's also a father who knows that we're none of those things in and of ourselves and will walk with us every step of the way and forgive us when we fail. In fact, we know he'll forgive us because he gave us his own son. And if we trust in him, we have all the forgiveness we'll ever need. And so your role, dads, in the in your family is directly given to you by God the Father. There, there, there's no better situation you could possibly be in. He has placed you in this family. He has given you dominion, which does not mean domination. It means mastery. It means care. It means doing the same thing that God made Adam to do in the Garden of Eden, to cultivate it, to increase it, to to learn, to name, to, to treat things the way that they were designed to be treated, and to encourage them to flourish. That is what God has put you in your family to do. And he's given you everything you need to do that. The message that I really want fathers to hear is not, you are good enough just as you are. That is a shallow message because we all know that is false. We know. Look in the mirror. You will. You can see your imperfections more than maybe anyone except for your spouse. Let's be honest, okay? But we know about our imperfections. We know that we are imperfect. But God has given you all things that you need pertaining to life and godliness as a father. And man, when you live in that, when you answer that calling, 
that's a quest and a mission and a vision for your life and for your family that you can embrace. And that's the journey that we're all on. That's how you leave a legacy. That would be my encouragement to, to dads is follow your father in heaven at just as you expect your family to follow you. Such a good word. Such a good word, Joel. Joel, where can folks find you? Thanks for asking. I have a podcast. It's called Worldview Legacy, and it is for Christian men who aren't pastors, but want to obey God's callings in their life and want to build a legacy for their homes and in their local area where they and their wives and their children will be able to answer all the questions that the world asks about their faith and the Christian worldview. In short, it's the show that helps men become the worldview leaders that their families and churches need. If that sounds appealing, anyone can go and listen to my podcast, Worldview Legacy, and they can find that at thethink.institute slash podcast. That's where they can get that. Wonderful. We'll include that in the show notes. Don't worry if you're vacuuming while you're listening or driving in your car somewhere, you can click on the links in the show notes and find out more about Joel. And we certainly would encourage you to do so. I want to thank you so much for joining us on Step Family Mission Possible today. That was my pleasure. I had a lot of fun. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thank you.